In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. So much stuff to talk about this week. We've got final cuts as the Argonauts give us their season roster and their practice roster. Tristan Deku is picked up by the Edmonton Elks. There's a huge trade, Jalen Collins and Martez Ivy going to the Elks for a sixth round pick. We'll get into that. Larry Tannenbaum sounds off. That kind of exploded. We'll give you uh, what the chairman of MLSE had to say and our take on it. Plus, for the first time ever, we've got CFL fantasy advice for you. And we'll give you our picks for this week's four CFL games. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. So let's get into the final cuts. A lot of defensive linemen were cut. There was a six defensive linemen got, got cut on cut down day. We had so many defensive linemen. But I want to talk a little bit about Adrian Tracy and Coney Ely. So let, let's start with Coney Ely. We thought when he was healthy last year that he looked really good. He's got, you know, great experience. He was he played in the Super Bowl, was the star of that Super Bowl, had his team not not lost. He probably is Super Bowl MVP. And, you know, he gets he gets cut a year after showing some promise. What's your read on that? Yeah, I thought he was fine last year. I, I didn't think he ever moved beyond serviceable. Um you know he's getting he's older as well, so it, it doesn't surprise me that they found him expendable. I thought he was, you know, he was a fine rotational guy, but he he definitely did not have a pass rush step. He was okay in the middle, but wasn't really a run blocker. I think he was he was a fine number seven defensive lineman. So it it, it does not surprise me that uh, you know that they're going to try and um, you know pick somebody you know try somebody new see if if they can get something. Yeah, and I, I agree with the move, and I didn't really see the flashes that I saw a little bit last year. It's tough. Like, you're talking about Coney Ely is a defensive end in the NFL, and those guys that come to the CFL, usually they're defensive tackles. Usually NFL linebackers become DNs, or rush ends become DNs, and DNs become D-tackles. And sometimes it works. You know, you see a guy like Sean Oakman, who is sort of your prototypical defensive end in the NFL you know, for his body type and, and skill set. And he's a great interior guy in the CFL. But Coney Ely just, uh, he didn't quite make that transition. But we did see those flashes a little bit last year when he did get in, you know, had a, a couple of really nice plays, that that beautiful sack against Hamilton. And just it, it just didn't seem to be there. So I, I don't really have a problem with the move. Adrian Tracy, it was sad to see. I kind of, I was so excited at the beginning of training camp because he had burst at the start of training camp. And... You remember why, like Adrian Tracy has won a Super Bowl. He's 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 been around for a long time. He's been playing pro ball for like twelve years now, and there was a little bit of that. And you saw what it was that you know got him to that 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 giant Super Bowl, and you know got him to a Grey Cup uh, with the the Tiger Cats as well. But there was a reason that the Tiger Cats didn't resign, and there was a reason he retired. And it it's just wasn't the energy level wasn't there and that's something that you see from a lot of vets with especially with that sort of you know uh, pedigree with that that uh, high skill set 
you'll see it early on, but as camp drags on, you get to day 13, 14, 15, and that's where it starts to fade a little bit. And I think that's what we saw a little bit with Adrian Tracy. So, you know, I don't know if things are, are done with those guys. I always hope not. If they want to play, I hope there's a place for them, but it's it's not going to be with the, the Toronto Argonauts. And we had to say goodbye to Jake, the, the Night King Lava, uh, Eleni Petutau, uh, Connor Flagel as well, and, and Michael Pizzuto returning to school. And that was our our defensive line. A couple of corners that were maybe a little bit surprising. So uh, Maurice Carnell IV and Dion Harris both uh, didn't make the, the squad, and D'Angelo Amos as well. So you look at those three DBs. I'm not sure those are the three if you'd said three DBs aren't aren't going to make this roster, I don't think I would have picked those. I was surprised by D'Angelo Amos because of the extra things he gives you. Maurice Carnell, this is a good lesson, though, because you and I talked about the fact that he may not have been, you know, everyone was raving about him. We were, too. He had a great double blue game. He looked fantastic. Best guy on the field. And we were waiting on that, though, because we wanted to see, is this something he can do every time he gets out there or was it just that day and we, you know there are reasons why he couldn't get on the field with the Hamilton Tiger Cats last year it's not that he can't have good moments but can you string it together over a period of days and obviously the the coaching staff felt that yeah that was a great game but it wasn't something that was going to consistently be there throughout the season no none of I mean none of the picks really were that shocking I thought you know I thought that you know, really, you're talking about guys who, who were at the, you know, toward the bottom of the depth chart at at each position, and I, I wasn't shocked. I mean, we can talk about the trade, um, but in terms of guys that were cut, I, there was nobody. I I didn't think there was anybody who was shocking. There certainly was nobody who I thought was either a starter or a backup. There were a few guys I thought were backups or a few guys I thought were projects. But uh, yeah, I mean, no backup starters. as a two. I don't mean like obviously people are backups. I mean, I, I didn't see yeah. any ones or twos cut. Well, I have a couple to throw at you. So uh, Dion Pellerin, I think, was in my mind was going to be on the team. I don't I didn't think there was any chance he was getting cut. And he would have been a backup first up. Uh, behind Declan Cross in in my mind because that's what he was last year and he was the heir apparent we said that when they drafted him because he was in almost every way like Declan Cross and he was the first running back drafted in the 2020 draft it's not that long ago and so that was a little bit of a surprise I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there but I expected him to kind of take over the role from Declan Cross this year and instead he's not on the team and then Sam Baker is another guy that you know maybe not a two uh like you're saying and I, I guess I guess there they're just thinking you know there's only so many Tommy Neals you can have on the team uh, and maybe that you know we saw that with Matt Gledhill being released and now Sam Baker but I really like him and I think there's a lot he brings you I love the the long snapping ability he brings as well but I, I thought he looked really good so I was a bit surprised by that but you're right these you know none of these guys that we're saying here are starters but I, I thought there were a few that maybe could have been backups but it's it was a really competitive camp and there's a lot of good players on this team so I don't look at the roster thinking you know man we really need x guy you know the, the any of the guys that were cut here so I guess in in that regard I'm, I'm not surprised but when you look at some of these individual names yeah I I don't know and Tiki Sanko as a global player now he got exposed a little bit when they gave him some playing time in preseason because his coverage just it just wasn't there uh, there there were holes but I like him as a special teams player 
but it's you know it's the effect of of having uh Hegarty as our global punter which just means there they, you know there doesn't have to be a global db so I, I think Tiki Senko does get picked up, though, at some point. Yeah, and I'm, I wouldn't say that that is the defining um, metric. But I think if you look at who was picked up after our cuts, um, you know, it, it certainly does suggest that uh, a lot of teams uh, viewed the players in a similar way. Now, we look at the practice roster. There are a couple interesting names here. I want to start off with... Uh, the offensive lineman, so Braden Knoll, uh, that's not surprising. A draft pick from this year. We didn't think he was going to be getting on the field this year. I'm starting to wonder, the more I see him, I'm wondering if they might... I know his, his measurables don't work for this. So he's too tall, really. But I wonder, just watching his feet, watching his play, if they think about trying to make him a center at some point. I think that would be really interesting. Because to me, just watching him... aside, If I didn't know he was 6'5 or 6'6 or whatever he is, and I just watched him in drills, I would say he's the center. And that's that's something I want to see if, if you know, because they know a lot more about this than I do. And so if they're not thinking that, then they're probably right. But it's it just something that struck me the other day. Uh, Kofi Apaya is another one. They've kept him. We've lost so much depth at tackle. We'll get to the trade in a moment, <laughs> losing Martez Ivy. They were already short at tackle. They've got two really good starters. I like the starters in Cage and Allen, but Cage hasn't you know, played a game since the iPhone 5 came out. And, and you know, after he goes down, we, we just don't have any other guys. So do they really, really like Kofi Apaya? Is that why they felt confident enough to, to make some of these moves? I, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Uh, Javon Leak on the practice squad, not making a roster spot. Uh, how does that strike you? Yeah, I, I, I was um, surprised by that. But uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess really he's he's probably just he's probably a, you know a returner, um, and is is you know whatever he would be third fourth running back. So when you look at it, it does make sense. I think you know he stood out a little bit in the preseason, but when you actually look at the game day roster, he he probably is a number four running back and probably a number two kick returner. So I think that's a nice I think that's a nice practice squad move. And I think looking at, if they're looking at the running back as a Canadian spot, which they seem to be, we know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but uh, we know that Harris is going to start out of a boy probably a second so that they can keep that spot Canadian. And then you've got Wallet, um, which they can do now because they're only carrying, you've only got one fullback on the dress roster at the moment. Now that could change. They could they could activate Joe Carbone on on game days. But it's so different from what we've seen in years past, where you sometimes had four fullbacks active and one or two running backs. And so with this setup, it is a little different. It looks like they'll have three running backs and one fullback if, if this holds. Uh, and then they basically use, use Wallet as sort of that pounder. Uh, Harris is sort of somewhere in between what Adeboboye and, and Wallet do for you. But obviously, he's sort of the, the class of that, of that backfield. So... I guess it's not surprising, but I do think Javon Leak is, is I think he's the best kick returner on the team. You know, I, I guess I like Isaiah Wright and, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how Edwards is doing, what his health is like. But I expect to see Javon Leak at some point on the field. Yeah, I agree. And the last guy I want to, the uh, last guy I want to talk about on the practice roster is Tashiki Sato, who we thought would probably make his way back here. Yeah, I, I was happy to see that. I, 
I was worried that they might not use a practice squad spot on him and kind of have him as a, you know, a de facto practice squad without without doing that. So that was nice to see. I'm glad that uh, the organization, um, you know, reached out formally to him. Um, and, uh, you know, look, maybe he'll get a shot. And I, I don't want to suggest that there's uh, anything going on behind the scenes there, but by not having him on the roster for the last uh, week or whatever it has been, it allowed the Argos to carry one more body and evaluate one more player. And, uh, you know, this maybe, maybe this was in the works from the beginning, uh, maybe unofficially, but I did notice at our uh, last preseason game, with Tashiki Sato not on the roster, I, I looked down to the bench and there he is wearing his civvies, uh, taking punts from Jake Reinhardt and evaluating his snaps, holding them out, showing him his targets. I'm like, okay, this guy is, he's, he's back. He's making the practice roster. We both thought Tristan Deku would sign in Edmonton before he signed anywhere else because that's where Coach Jones is. Why don't you explain just you know, how, how that works, like why this was so easy to see? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem surprising that probably for the next six months, um, Toronto defensive guys are going to make their way to Edmonton. It's, it's it you know it happens often in football. Defensive coaches have their guys, guys that know their system, understand their system, um, you know, do what's being asked them. You don't even have to particularly be great. Um, just as a defensive coordinator, it's 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 so much easier to have somebody who understands what you're doing and you don't have to start at step one. And, you know, if two guys are both kind of average and all things being equal and one guy knows how to do it and you can just jump right into day 60 and not day one, you know, you're going to bring those guys in. You know, you want, you want to bring those guys in who, who understand the system. And, and even with, you know, coaches sort of powerful as coach Jones, you, you want guys, you know, he, it's always a trick when you're installing a new system, you know, how many guys buy in, how many guys are into it, how many guys understand it. And you want to kind of tilt that number. And, and on the reverse, you know, from the Argos, when you're looking to install a new system, you're looking for people who are on board with the new system. And, you know, you're looking for people who, who are keen to learn it and understand it and are not asking why not this? Why not that way? We did it this way last year. Um, you know, that varies based on your talent level, how many of those questions you're willing to have. But, you know, I think defensively, you're always, in my mind, you're always better to have guys who buy in um, than to have guys who don't. So it, it, it's not unusual to see that kind of uh, movement among guys who are not stars, but are pretty good football players. And you see new coaches come in and clean house. We saw that in Toronto. You talk about defensive guys. It's the same thing on offense. Coach Dinwiddie came in here and, and he cleaned everybody out. Right, and brought, in, just, and brought in half of Calgary. Yeah, that's it. And that's, that's what is done. And so it does feel a little bit like we're playing the role of Calgary in this as Coach Jones starts picking through the Toronto staff from last year and then now starts picking through the defensive secondary. But that's what happens. That's... That's the nature of football, and you explained it really well. And I'll go to something that I mentioned in my article about the Jalen Collins trade, which we'll get to in a minute. The the Cincinnati Bengals, who I follow, I'm a diehard Bengals fan. When that new coaching staff came to Cincinnati, they got rid of guys that 
the fans were really trying to hold on to. Guys that, you know, three pro bowlers on on defense that people really wanted to keep around, like you know, Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlop. And uh, and they just, but they weren't buying into the new system, I guess. And they were trying to put in something new. They wanted to move younger, move with guys they knew. And they got rid of everybody. And it was a disaster for a year. <laughs> and then a year later, they're in the Super Bowl. It's true. I mean, look, it's not always perfect uh, because sometimes you get rid of everybody and now you don't have enough talent. Um, so you always have to find that balance, right? Like some, Like you are going to have to teach the system to new people and the system should be good enough to convince some new people to buy in. Uh, You're just trying to lower the number of new people. But if you feel like you can't convince any of the new people, that's probably a system that needs more thinking. And I think like we both think Edmonton is actually going to be pretty good this year, but it's probably going to be, there are going to be some rough moments. Like they got their doors blown off last week and I know it's preseason. They didn't have, all their main guys out there. Yeah, you, but want, you, it, want, you want allies in the room. When you're rolling your eyes and yelling at a guy at film, you want other guys in the room who are like, yeah, that's not what that position's supposed to do. You know, you're just looking for guys in the room who get what the defense is trying to do, and you're not the only one in the room trying to do it, even when you are as powerful a personality as Coach Jones. And that takes us to the Jalen Collins, Martez Ivy trade. So when this happened over the weekend, I, I knew something went on because my, my phone wouldn't stop buzzing. Everybody was up in arms about it. And I just, I think it's really funny that, uh, so I, I text you, I said, hey, Jalen Collins, uh, Martez Ivy just traded uh, to Edmonton for a sixth round pick. I don't remember what exactly your response was, but I think it was something like, so? <laughs> Well, you did not think this was well, as big look, a deal as everyone else n- did. Now that he's no longer an Argo, let me let me say that um, I was always a huge Jalen Collins fan um, from the Atlanta New England Super Bowl uh, when he <laughs> was targeted fourteen times in a row uh, in the second half. So um, on that level, I appreciated Jalen Collins a great deal. Um, he he look, yeah, I thought Jalen Collins was fine. I thought that he showed some nice flashes. Um, I, I never thought that he did anything that was not replaceable. Um, you know, when I watched him, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was a fine professional football player. Um, but can, you know, can you coach somebody up to do what he did? Yeah. In in my opinion, yes. Um, you know, I don't know again, you know, with personalities, I don't know what his level of buy-in or his level of questioning was of new systems, you know, that, that's a, that's a dynamic for sure that, you know, if you're a player who asks a lot of questions, um, you better be a star or you got to go. So I don't know if that happened here, but it certainly feels like it because they got almost nothing in return. So it feels like get on the phone, call Jones, tell him to take his guy and we'll take back a bag of footballs. And the way that you say it is basically how I see it happening. Although I, I'd say a six-round pick is slightly better than a bag of footballs. But <laughs> what? I would take a bag of footballs all day over a six-round pick. Footballs are expensive. It's true that a six-round pick in the CFL doesn't guarantee you anything. There's a, <laughs> no. so many six-round picks no. in the CFL that never play a single no, snap of offense or defense. But but there's there's hope out of that. You see guys that that come out of that. You know guys like and, and again, the yard just what you released can do with a couple bag of those. Footballs. 
<laughs> yeah. So the guys like, um, you know, we're talking about guys like Dion Pellerin and Sam Baker who were just released, we just talked about, but th- those are CFL quality football players. They just happened to be on a, a team where, where they got released. And I don't think, I don't think either, I think that was a fifth and a seventh, those guys, but still, and, and looking at, you know, Sutton this year, who's a, a sixth round pick. And I have, I, I'm really interested in a guy that I'm going to follow, but I don't think sixth round picks are held nearly as highly as, as some people think here. I don't think there's a ton of value in that. So to me, this is how this whole thing went down. This was a situation where Toronto felt like based on what they had, and this ties back into the coach Jones situation and defensive coordinators liking their guys and wanting guys to, to buy into their system. I don't think Jalen Collins was going to be on the team. I'm going to leave Martez Ivy out of this for a moment. Cause I think that may have been part of the deal later. But I think this is about Jalen Collins. I think they felt that with the development of McFadden, Tavares McFadden, that they had two guys that they really liked in Jamal Peters, Tavares McFadden, and those guys were going to play the corners. And I don't know if they felt like they had a place for Jalen Collins. I think the fact that he's traded to me means that they were looking at releasing him. and But they knew he had some value because he, he's a good corner. He played really well last year. He's got some really good film. And just because he's not necessarily going to be in Argo doesn't mean he can't be somewhere else. And Edmonton has got all sorts of trouble at corner. Uh, they, you know, they've got, I, I don't think they have a, a boundary corner right now. I think it's probably going to be Collins or, or Deku, uh, one of those two guys. So, uh, you know, I, I think they probably looked at it and said, look, we're going to cut him anyway. Let's see if we can get at least something. And Edmonton's the only team that's interested because everyone else sort of has their, their starting caliber corners set. Edmonton is the only team that doesn't, and it's Chris Jones who knows what Jalen Collins can do, um, and then, he wants to bring another guy in there, so it why, makes sense. Why Ivy? Well, so the, I think what happened here is that they're basically saying to Edmonton, "Look, you know, what will you give us for Jalen Collins?" And I think they're basically saying, "Well, I don't know, uh, I don't know, like a seventh, three years from now," and and that's you know that it doesn't make it worth it at that point. I think they asked for something else. Oh. They're like, "Look, if we're going to give you a six, <laughs> we got we need something more." Jones, take Collins. No, all right. Um, let me give you Ivy too. Okay. <laughs> it's a, a version of that. It, mine is what would have actually happened. Yours is like a, a Saturday morning cartoon of what happened. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it's, yeah, it's the same okay. idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they needed to sweeten the deal a little bit to get that six round pick <laughs> uh, because everyone else is set. And the thing is, there's just there's not a huge Edmonton aside. There's not a huge shortage of quality corners. The corners in the CFL are good. You look at starting corners on almost every team. These are really good football players. I, I would take almost any starting corners from almost any team. And I really like the guys that we've got in Toronto, but I, I don't think there's any team where it's like, wow, that, you know, we can really pick on these corners all day. It's a position where most teams are going Americans on both sides. And there are a lot of quality free agent American cornerbacks out there. So I think that's, that's why this all went down and how it all went down. And I'm, you know, I like Collins a lot. I think I like Collins more than you did, but I'm okay with it. I, I don't really have a problem. I'm a little concerned now at the lack of depth, but they obviously feel like they've got something. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's in some of the new guys like Priester. It's a new Argos tradition of trading a starting cornerback in camp. <laughs> maybe this is just something that, well, and 
but going back to you know if you go back to like uh like alden darby for example <laughs> at uh, at safety and it just you know wasn't working creston butler was going to come in and, and and play that role but you know that's that's another thing which it's like we're talking about too you've got a new defensive coordinator that was coming in and you know maybe it just didn't work that way maybe that was salary related we don't really know with that one that's a bit tougher there were a few possibilities but you know, looking at at the defensive backfield from last year, it has changed so much. And this is because probably you've got a new defensive coordinator in, in Coach Mace. And also remember, a lot of these DBs didn't really get too much a chance to work with Coach Bell last year. And, and you know, Coach Bell's not on his own uh, this year as well. You know, we've got, we got fields in there too. So, it's it's why we probably see so much turnover. It's it's why you know Jeff, Jeff Richards is is gone. You've got Tristan Deku gone, Jalen Collins gone, Kresden Butler gone, and um, Cahoon retired. So like the the defensive backfield's seen a tremendous amount of turnover, but it's not. There's nothing weird going on. This is just what happens when you bring in new staff. The Larry Tannenbaum comments. It was either going to blow up or it would just go away. It, it took a few hours and then it really blew up and everyone started writing about it. So if you haven't seen Larry Tannenbaum's comments, uh, Larry Tannenbaum, chairman of uh, MLSE, uh, 25% uh, owner, he he criticized, uh, this is, I got to be careful how I word this here. He was very critical of the CFL. I didn't read his comments as being anti-Toronto Argonaut. And there's one quote that I want to really focus in on because he was asked about the structure of the league. And he said, I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with the structure of the league. My concern is in the major cities of Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, it's not attracting younger fan engagement. You look at value creation and quite unfortunately, these teams are not worth that much money. And he goes on to talk about the other teams under MLSC ownership being worth billions of dollars. And of course, you know, it's not a fair apples to apples comparison. But I think the takeaway here, this isn't an anti-Argonauts comment. This is him saying he's frustrated with how the league is operating because it's operating for the non-big city teams. It's, it's, the decisions are being made that don't favor Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. And where I agree with him is that I don't think there's a league without those teams. I think you need Toronto, you need Montreal, you need Vancouver, and Toronto especially. You've got to have Toronto for this league to work. And the current structure isn't working for Toronto. And I, I would agree with him. Larry Tannenbaum knows what he's doing. I would have him I would have him make a lot of decisions for the CFL. And I don't think we're talking about shutting things down. I don't think we're talking about, you know, closing everything up. I think he probably has a lot of really good ideas that would create more value for the franchises in the CFL. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um uh, I have often asked you if we could do my skit about CFL owners calling the MLSE, uh, to which you always say no. Um, but, you know, clearly, look, the MLSE is a, you know, is a, a billion dollar operation. Um, you know, they did not create the wealth of the franchises that they have. You know, they didn't turn the NHL into something. They didn't turn the NBA into something. Um, I would really be curious to see 
if they buy a WNBA team. And then I think that's a more comparable dynamic. Like, can you show? So, so I guess I hear I, I fall I fall this way. I think I understand the skepticism of being big footed by MLSE because you know they're like, well, look, okay, you you own an NBA team. That's you know that's quite an operation. Um, so you have been very successful, but it's also an NBA team. You know, um, on the other hand. You know, I think that they do need to acknowledge that they need MLSE, that this is uh, an organization that is invested. There, you know, no one else has that level of money or sports expertise in the CFL, and they certainly. I don't even know what would happen if MLSE decided that they didn't want this sort of pet project. Um, so I'm sure that they are frustrated that they are looked at as just another team when, you know, first of all, it is the biggest city in Canada and it is being run by the largest um, sports organization in Canada and they need a bigger voice. I'm sure he gets frustrated that some guy in Calgary is calling the shots and he's like, what, what is happening here? Who, this guy couldn't even call me if he doesn't even have my number. Why, why is this person running the meeting? (laughs) Um, I, I get that frustration a hundred percent. I understand why they don't want to be big footed, but I do think there's a middle ground where they're given more say and more sway. Um, yeah, uh, it's tough. I, I get it. I, I get why they're like easy Toronto, but also, you know, I think that they need to keep MLSE happy because if they sell the Argos, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you go from there. I don't know where you sell the Argos too. Like the thing that's is, that's what I mean. The, I, I, I don't. You know, then you get into they own them for the. Then the league owns the Argos. I mean, we don't want to go down that road. No, and the thing is, MLSE can make ownership of the Argos work because they're able to avoid a lot of the costs that would go on with independent ownership because they can use the infrastructure that they've got in place for the other teams that they run. Um, for, you know, we're talking about at BMO Field, for example, but it's it's everything. It's offices, it's it's ticket sales, it's it's promotions. Like you can you can kind of uh, string together uh, your teams that you use for like across MLSE and it, it's huge cost savings. So that's something that no one else can come in and do. So someone else that comes in to buy the Argos, if MLSE is losing money, well, they're going to lose three, four or five times as much because they don't have those systems in place. So you don't want... MLSE selling the team. Although, and and in truth, I would love to see. I mean, I know we're we're all very happy that MLSE is bankrolling the current Argos. Um, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to look that in the mouth. But you, you know, I would love to see MLSE start with some of their own initiatives uh, in terms of increasing youth engagement. And you know, there's a lot of things they can do independently. Um, you know, I think to kind of show the league what their plan is. Um, I'd love to see some of those, some of those uh, initiatives be rolled out this summer. Yeah. And they, they do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that are going on with whether it's, it's youth football, flag football. And you know, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that they, they do and the Argos are always out in the community, but we don't see a lot of it. You see it on the, you see it on the Twitter page, you see it on, on the Argos website, but you don't have mainstream media picking that up. And I think that that's one of the issues is that in a smaller city that does get picked up because that's the most interesting thing going on that day. 
it's hard to be front page news in Toronto when you are the Toronto Argonauts. You have to do something really, really big in order to to move the the needle. And I and I think some of what Larry Tannenbaum is saying is that it can't be like I think we I think we don't see a lot of that from the Argos because I, I think they don't feel it will do anything. I, I feel like they don't think it will actually achieve much. Uh, and what they want is league-wide change. They want league-wide things that will actually, in their view, move the needle. I think what they want is to sell their team and buy an NFL team. And they're frustrated that they have to constantly have these meetings with people they do not consider peers, if, if you want my, my honest take. And I do get nervous about that because he did say at the end of the interview, and I don't have the exact quote here and I don't want him suing me for this. So I'm just going to paraphrase or suggest, but it was something along the lines of uh, continuing to be interested in an NFL team. That's something that has always been fascinating to him. And the, the, there's so many difficulties to that. We're not going to get into that conversation today. That's that's a, that's an off-season topic for another time. And one I don't want to get into to start the CFL. You know, we're excited about this Argos season, the CFL season. But yeah, that's that's the one thing that always has made me nervous about, about Larry Tannenbaum, about MLSE, is that I love the Argos and I don't want to see the Argos go anywhere. And while I love the NFL, I don't need an NFL team in Toronto. I have an NFL team I support and I'm quite happy with it. And and I have a CFL team that I support and I would like to do both things. So yeah, any talk of NFL, that always gets me a little nervous. And, you know, he did, he was asked and, and addressed it. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of uh, cringed a little bit there. It's time for our first ever fantasy advice. So let's explain what's happening, JB. We've got CFL fantasy advice for you. It's probably not good advice. It's certainly not advice that should be used in any way to spend hard-earned money on. No, definitely not. It shouldn't be used. You should probably forget about this immediately after turning off this podcast. Neither JB or I has ever been in a CFL fantasy league. We have never done CFL fantasy. We're not new to fantasy football but we've never done CFL fantasy football. And this is our first venture into it this year. We are uh, combining, which, man, that is more work than I thought it was going to be. We're com- we've combined our brains into one Exes and Argos team that is participating in a league of podcasts and podcasters around the CFL. And I think our, our, our first matchup is is Rouge, White and Blue. So we're, we're coming for you, Joe. Uh, we, we've got, uh, we, you know, we've got to see what we produce here. I'm a little nervous about it, but <laughs> this is what we've done. We decided we would use our, our quote unquote expertise to find some value, find matchups we like and give you our picks for this week. If you want to follow along, that's fine. Do not blame us when you get annihilated in week one of CFL fantasy football. So I think our strategy was we wanted to have a strong running back duo and a strong flex. I think that's, you know, when I kind of look at what we came up with and we took hours to agree on a team, which that may have been our first mistake is agreeing to <laughs> well, put a I, team together. I have wisely capitulated to all of your choices, which is win-win for me. Because if well, we win... The first team I sent you, you were like garbage. We win. Well, look, there was only a certain level of capitulation I could accept. But once you came up with a team that was certainly closer to what I would do, <laughs> I didn't fight you because if my picks turn out to be right, then I will lord that over you. And if you turn out to be right, then we win. 
you didn't even make picks. You just rejected all my picks for the first like nine attempts, and then uh, you're you, like, you okay, know, you, I, are you, you know that my side league team is 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 there for us to look at after the week. All right. Well, it was like playing a game of Mastermind to me, where <laughs> I, you know, I had to. I, I don't, it's anyway, no one knows that reference. So, uh, quarterback. Uh, we're taking a gamble here. We went Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. We think there's a lot of value here. $7,185 for Nick Arbuckle. I think he was ranked ninth of all the quarterbacks. And he's going to start this week. He's he's He was injured last week. And I think that's probably what affected his value a little bit. Also, the Edmonton quarterback situation is up in the air. The Edmonton team situation is up in the air. I think Edmonton's going to do pretty well against BC this week. I think Arbuckle is going to be the guy. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some plays from other quarterbacks, Cornelius especially, but Nick Arbuckle was injured. He practiced full today. He was practicing with the ones as well. So in terms of value to have the the ninth rated quarterback uh, who's playing against BC and uh, Arbuckle with so much offseason work with so many of these guys, I think that was an easy pick for me. So great value in that one. He does have the right stuff. <laughs> yes. So... Running back is where we splurged a bit. Uh, I know you love you love William Stanback. Yes. And that was expensive. It was expensive, 8236 But, uh, you know, against Calgary, I, I like this too. I think I think he's going to get get a lot of carries. I think he's going to get a lot of goal line action. Yeah, he's, he's the best running back in the CFL. So I think he's worth the money. Yeah, and Don Jackson, I don't think is far behind. I don't like having Tiger Cats on my team if I can avoid it, but... I like him. He's a really good running back. 6,996. We spent a lot of money on this position, but I feel really confident with him against Saskatchewan, Stanbeck against Calgary. They're going to get a lot of points. And so if some of these other guys hit, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah, I love Jackson out of the backfield too. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Receivers, uh, <laughs> I'm nervous about. We, we could have a big day or we could get zero from our receivers. And this is one of the our sort of budget buys. So... We got Darrell Walker because uh, someone's got to catch those passes from Nick Arbuckle as he's tearing through the Lions. $5,798, about half the price of what you're paying for some of the other guys who I also like. But, you know, we've got to we've got to be cost uh, effective here. Darrell Walker's a good receiver. He had a terrible season last year. There was terrible quarterback play. Nick Arbuckle, I like as a quarterback. He's looked pretty good in practice this year from everything that I've heard. And so let's let's see what he can do with Darrell Walker. That's a guy that's going to try and get his career back together. Let's see him explode out of the gate with a couple of touchdowns uh, this weekend. Exactly. I mean, I think it's a great gamble because uh, Arbuckle is going to be looking for a guy. So who's going to be his guy that he's going to feed, especially being brand new to a team? So if they're the connection, uh, you know, I think it's going to be boomer bust. I think he's going to catch one pass for seven yards or he's going to catch nine passes for 140. Yeah, and I'm uh, hoping it's the latter, not the former. <laughs> yeah. The other receiver we went with is our man, Kean Schaefer-Baker, 3936 Just tremendous value. He's a really good receiver, and he, he just always gets overlooked. This guy will find a way to kill you somehow. Uh, he was great in their scrimmage. 
He oh, didn't play that much. He only had a couple of receptions in both the preseason games, but he's always there. And he's just such a big target. He catches every ball thrown his way. Uh, I think this tremendous value. I don't expect him to go out there and put up 100 yards and a touchdown. But I think, again, for value that we're talking about, uh, I feel really confident. He's not He's not going to be a zero out there. I would I would be more surprised if he threw up a zero than Darrell Walker, even though Darrell's got a much higher ceiling. For our flex, this was this this may go backwards on us. Uh, I'm feeling less and less confident as we go through our lineup, JP. So Brady Oliveira as our flex, uh, and I know you're saying, well, Johnny Augustine. What if he's the guy that ends up carrying the mail? I like Johnny Augustine. I think he's faster. I think he's more exciting. I think Brady Oliveira is a the guy I would put out there if I was coaching in Winnipeg. He's better in pass protection. He's going to see more snaps. He's going to see more carries and he's going to see more carries near the end zone. I, I think both guys are about the same value. If you want to take, you know, you want to take Augustine. I, I don't, I don't blame you for that. I think there's, if one of them's going to like go off, go off, it'll probably be Augustine. But I really like what Oliveira brings. And I think in that flex role, 4349 bucks. I think that's a really nice play. Yep. He's classic end zone vulture dude and then for our defense uh we we went we're we got a lot riding on the elks this week um we went the elks who were the lowest price defense well tied for the lowest price uh, with a few others Uh, i like the elks a lot in this matchup i think i think bc is going to take a little while to get it together if they get it together at all but i think they're going to be pretty rough in the first couple weeks edmonton might be as well but here's the thing edmonton just got like pasted in the last game and chris jones came out and ripped everybody he had a great line afterwards he's like some of these cuts are going to be really easy after this one um and there are going to be people there are going to be guys in edmonton that are afraid for their jobs afraid for their starting roles i think edmonton is going to look really sharp this week i don't know if they're going to have a great year i think they're going to look good in week one i think they're going to give bc all kinds of trouble so great value three thousand two hundred dollars i yeah i i took that that comment that that harshness to be a sense of uh coach jones likes what he has but he doesn't feel um that the intensity is there but i i don't think he would i don't think he would be that tough on a team he think couldn't do it i think like from a coach's perspective that sort of harshness is one you use when you think you have something and you don't want them to to know it you don't want the team to think what you think, even though they got pasted. Uh, I, I think that speaks to Coach Jones feeling like he's got the core of a good defense out there. I don't think he would be that harsh if he had a leaky boat. I really don't. Well, you and I have both been there in that scenario where you have like the players you're you're hard on. Usually it's because it's disappointing because they're capable of so much more. Like it's it's the guys that you never say anything to. Like you don't want to be that guy. Uh, you want to be a guy that coaches are are jumping on as soon as you as soon as you let up a little bit because that means you've got something there and they're frustrated because you have potential and yeah, you are capable. Like, as a coach, when you have a terrible team, like you don't yell at them, you're terrible. You just sort of go home at night and think, oh, they're terrible. But you can't. You're you're <laughs> going to be positive. You're going to be upbeat. You're going to try and you know coach them up. But when you have a good team, you yell at your good team all the time that they're terrible until they're so good that they don't believe you anymore. So that's where I'm taking it. That's, that's my, that's my guess. 
So that is our fantasy advice for this week. I expect to be 0-1 at the end of this all, but uh, it's a learning experience well, for us both. Well, look, uh, Arbuckle is not my choice. I would, but I'm I I can't lie. I can't. I'm I'm on board with the other choices. Which other quarterback do you want for seven thousand dollars? There aren't like we're into. There's a backup that is higher priced than Arbuckle. This is great value. It you is can't good just value. like you can't put an asterisk next to that. Well, I I would. This is our. Team, I don't want to get JB. into. I don't want to get into all of the other changes that we make. But yes, it is our team. I'm. I am behind our team. Let's make our picks for this week. We got four games in the CFL. None of them Argonauts, so there'll only be a little bit of bias here. Montreal, Calgary in Calgary. Uh, I, I think this is Calgary. I think Calgary wins this game. I think they're. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm actually pretty excited about this game. I I just don't know. Montreal is so all over the place. Calgary is a tough place to play. I I think Stampeders win. Yeah, I I agree too. I have, you know, the CFL is a home field advantage league. I know that that home field advantage has kind of disappeared in the NFL for a variety of reasons. Uh, But last year in the CFL, I I think home field is a big deal. Um, I I do think... I think Calgary is not good, but I think they win their home opener against Montreal. And I think Calgary, uh, like I had them being better than you had them being, but I, like I, I think I've got even more reason than to pick Calgary here. Week, or sorry, week two, game two, uh, Ottawa at Winnipeg. Uh, is this is this a no brainer for you? Yeah, I have Winnipeg at home. Uh, there's no like there's no chance they sneak up on Winnipeg at home. I'm picking Ottawa. Oof. Good. I think, let me tell you why. I think Winnipeg isn't thinking at all about this game. And I know you would probably say, well, for good reason. And maybe so. Ottawa is going to be a much better team. I, I don't, I'm not on the Ottawa train like everyone else is. I, at the end of the day, I don't think Ottawa is going to win the East like a lot of people think. I don't think they're even going to be in contention. I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. But they're not the Ottawa team that we've seen for the last few seasons. They're going to be a competent football team. And I don't think Winnipeg is going to be ready for them. And, I, and I, I'm not sure how good Winnipeg's going to be this year. I, I felt good about them initially. I think they're my Grey Cup pick. I feel less good about that than I did a month ago when I made that prediction. They've lost so many pieces. And I really felt the guys coming in to replace them would cover for that. But just in watching you know, the brief preseason clips that we've seen, I know it's not a lot to go on. I'm not so sure now. I think this is going to be a tight game. And so just for the huge advantage it would give me if I'm right, I'm picking Ottawa. <laughs> Go ahead. Hamilton's at Saskatchewan. This is Green Riders for me. Yeah, me too. I love Saskatchewan. I mean, I, I had them as my number one team. Um, you know, to heck with the Tiger Cats. Um, I love Saskatchewan at home. I think I think that's a pure home field call for me. I, my first three are all home fields. Yeah, and I would I would take I would take Saskatchewan in Hamilton too. I just think they're a much better football team. So, and I don't like the Tiger Cats. So it's easier to cheer for Green than it is for Black and Yellow. Yeah, it's bad enough we have one on our fantasy team. I'm not picking them in our bloody picks. I know, and I'm worried now. Like I, I hope it's at least close so Don Jackson can get his yards. But uh, yeah, I maybe we'll have to avoid that in the future. After that, it'll be easier when the Argos are playing. And then the last game of the week, Edmonton at BC. Uh, I I think the Elks. I think the Elks win pretty easily. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, that this is basically a vote for Coach Jones. I think he he gets that team ready to play. I think that they're going to come out and all want to try and impress the new coach. I I don't think BC 
um, is very good. And uh, I like Edmonton. So JB, we got to have a, a wager on this this year for our picks uh, throughout the year. And these I'll are keep straight track. up picks. No, no spread. straight up picks. No spread. This is just winners. And I'm opening up an Excel file as we speak because I am not young enough to open a Google Sheets or whatever no. grid program people use. Um, what is our wager? I, I'm going to suggest that we bet a submarine sandwich. <laughs> That's a, a callback. Yeah, I love it. Done. And it must be brought combo. to the other person. Combo. A combo, yeah. A sub, uh, footlong sub combo brought and served to the winner at the end of the season. Yep. I, I look forward to that delicious sandwich. That will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. If you get a chance, please rate, review, subscribe, and that podcast will show up right there on your phone every time we deliver one and tell every Argos fan you know about us. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you. Fight the foe.